0: Remember that Jesus did so much about you. Yes. It he talked about the Pharisee's prayer. He said, God, I thank you. I'm missing the other person. I don't that person. Then he says, The person who just cried out is saying, I'm not going to say it. His prayer was heard, and he sums that up by saying, "So everyone who exalts himself becomes humble; everyone who humbles himself becomes exalted." And he set that pattern in his own life by the way he "To the death on Christ, the cross." After the kingdom. I used to be a youth pastor, yes. so sometimes I gotta go back to my roots. I find these videos, I can't help myself.
1: I gotta share. I'm sorry.
0: there's this? Oh man. Well,
1: Imitation. if you weren't here last week, you're thinking killing it. What are we
0: killing? Yeah.
1: Uh, we're, we're talking about pride. Imitation we're in the middle of a series, killing it on on pride. And uh, uh, we said last week that pride is basically uh, saying that life, everything in our life, is by us and for us. We are self-made. Follow what you say, what I think. And that's that. That is the definition of pride. It looks at life and says everything that I have was built or made by me and it's for me. And it is insidious. I mean it creeps into everything. It's it's so difficult to see inside yourself and sometimes it's, it's, it's easy. In fact probably every time it's easier to see in other people than it is to ever see inside yourself. And then whenever you see that you have pride in, inside of your life and you take the steps to get rid of it,
0: you're proud that you got rid of
1: it. And you're, you're back to square one. It is insidious. It's an insidious sin. In fact, just last hour, no joke, I gotta stop talking about this topic. I keep telling you things about myself, but no joke, if you were here last week, I told a
0: story about myself. but last hour, I'm sitting
1: up here, have my eye in Excuse me, I have my iPad out, and I'm reading through the
0: scriptures, and my iPad does something
1: crazy and it goes back to chapter. Chapter 4 instead of chapter 5 of David, we're gonna be today. It goes back, and the first thing that I'm sitting in up here talking about Christ, the first thing that comes to my mind is, I have studied a lot this week, and they're not gonna think that I have. First thing. (laughs) It's an insidious insidious sin. I mean, it creeps in to everyone. And I would make the argument. I think I could make the
0: argument that pride,
1: arrogance, gets receives more venom from God than any other sin. You may be sitting there going, "Wow, Scott, that's white flame." I mean, God died on the cross. God sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross. For every You're going to make claim that the most the sin that receives the most venom, God's venom is pointed towards Christ more than anything. You're going to make that claim that's quite claim. Here's why I would say that.
0: Think back
1: to the garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are created. They're given dominion the over the entire garden. It is yours, God's says.
0: Except for one
1: tree and the fruit from it, everything else. Is under your dominion. It that. is yours. Well that story. And, and yet, uh, the snake, Satan, comes is, uh, in and says, "Hey, Adam, Adam Eve, he a, did, you did God really say, say that you could eat from that tree? You did God. He really so, say you're
0: you're that?" Kingdom Adam Eve
1: was like, "Yeah, He did." did. You you said, well, said, "Well, He may have said it, but let me just tell you why. He knows that if you eat from that tree, you will be a better sovereign than Him. This world, I mean, it's yours. He gave it to you. It is by you." Everyone, it is uh, continue worship service this morning you for our offering, Adam an and Eve, and they, they have this little discussion, and uh,
0: they decide, yep, yeah, uh, you know uh, what, that serpent's saying he's right, and by golly, I know I'll make uh, a better sovereign than the of God of the God has, universe. Uh, given you. And uh, also, if you are a guest, the only offering once again that we ask is that you could get us your connection card, either the Connection Center or through the offering. We'd just love to be able to get your connection card this morning and know that you are here. A couple of announcements for you all. Uh, number one, ever three, ever number I'm going to throw this out there. If you have high Think school throughout students, the Old Testament, uh, today is the very last day to sign up for the event, which is our high school Israel's conference. dependent upon God. It is November 13th to the 14th, and it is $25. And the speaker is my favorite speaker from our school this summer. And so if you have high school students they you know, see prosperity. The November 13th to the 14th, it's going to be at Ozark Christian College. They become dependent them on, on themselves. The last Sunday to get them this world is by and us, us really and really for have us. Have Leads uh, right also, back in. Also, don't forget, if you can look around in your seats or maybe in the seats that you sat in, you guys and have comments there. Um, for our false prosperity, for you to make uh, this world is biased. Yeah, typo I mean, on we that. are. are that. Key earlier, earlier this week, uh, Mary Jo said, "Living back the cat's pards." And then Cyril texted back and said, "Well, there's a typo uh, on that." And then Scott, my favorite thing of the week, Scott just texts back, "She's screaming." cracked up I, I've been there. I've done worried. that. But uh, those cards look amazing, to and Celina Jenkins awesome. did a good job, as yes, she did. And we'd love for you to use those to invite somebody to uh, our, our fellowship um, this weekend. And uh, please look Didn't at your wish If you were a home, God group. better uh, we are than he knows it. For I mean, they know exactly who, who they're there looking there. Jesus is not is him. by which food, and so uh, we need you guys to work together. And they know better than God. Of Fall fellowship. We'll see you there. The scriptures, well. they know it and backwards that, and forth. We are still We have back, missed things by the tail. Uh, we like said, we're a little know. Little bit done, so we, still, we know God better than our he knows, knows himself. They to get them 100 backpacks. So we can, turn their still, back uh, kind of kind of for next year. So they will not be having to, this, to around insidious sin of pride. Shows uh, its year, ugly they're self they're once so, again. So I please, believe. Please, please bring those backpacks once again. If you need every any, other sin um, at its of supplies, uh, you can go to our connection site right there, in. or Mary Jo can even just uh, text you. As or, a result, God's text, venom. Or, yes, or email you a list of uh, disappointed at pride, maybe more backpacks. so than uh, so any other. bring those in. Other than that, man, we, we love you guys. We're it. so it glad you came to today. And uh, Jesus loves you too. We hope to Pride the comes it
1: out of looking at this world. Looking at everything that you've had, everything that you've done, the job that you possess, the kids that you have been given to, your point to Jesus, and everything. Pride. its looking at God and saying everything that you've given to me as a gift. Not really true. I am a self-made man. I am a self-made woman. My life is the result of me. I can enjoy it any way that I want. Right. Right. So the question that I want to answer this week and next are these: What is the what is the result? The natural pride, whatever pride. Our heart leads our life. What is the the natural destination? I mean, we're, we're on this path of life when pride is leading the way, when, when our heart is filled with pride, and it is making the decisions of our life. What is the natural destination? The natural consequence? The natural result when pride is in charge? Where does that lead? So that's the question that we're going to answer today. We're going to answer the bigger question: How do you overcome? We're going to look at it a little bit this week, but big question we're going to answer next week is, how is pride overcome? And I don't think it's going to be where the world says pride is overcome. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5, we're going to answer the question, what is the natural result? Where does pride lead us when it is in charge of our life? Where is the destination that pride leads our life to? So if you have your Bibles... Uh, Daniel chapter 5, and let me set this up. Last week, we looked at at Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 4. If you remember, uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar looked over the, the, the city and the kingdom of Babylon, and he said, basically, look at everything. I created it, and I created it for me. I am large and in charge. There is no equal in this stone world. I am number one. And God humbled him as a result, made him like a beast of the field. In our home group last week, we did a little bit of scholarly research in Wikipedia, and we found out that Boanthropy is what King Nebuchadnezzar probably had, and other people have actually um, uh, had it as well, have suffered from it as well. Boanthropy, look it up. In, in, um, I want to say over in UK, I think there was a guy, not too many years ago, five years he suffered from Boanthropy. Uh, Boanthropy. He was in the hospital. They would They treated him like cattle for five years when he suffered from this. They would put him out into the field for the day, go out, get him, bring him back, give him his medicine, he would sleep, and then he would do it again. This is a a disease that has been suffered from other people, according to the scholarly journal Wikipedia. Now, I'm I'm serious. (laughs) You can look it up. Boanthropy suffered from that. Now we're going to fast forward 40 years. King Nebuchadnezzar is off the scene, and his Son-in-law and his grandson are in charge of the, the kingdom, the empire of Babylon. His son-in-law is in charge of the army. And he's actually out in battle with the Persians when this story takes place. And he has been defeated time after time after time at the hands of the Persian army. So much so that they are no longer engaging the army. They have run off into the hills, run off uh, away from the, uh, the the empire of Babylon and the city of Babylon. They've left that In in an effort to save their life, they're no longer coming up against the formidable uh, uh, empire, the Persian Empire, under Cyrus the Great. They're no longer uh, confronting him because there's a new uh, big dog on the block, and that's the Persian Empire under Cyrus the Great, just like I said. So they've come and they've warred against them several times. They've lost every time, and so King Nebuchadnezzar's son in law is left the scene. The Persian Empire, according to history, is now surrounded the city of Babylon. Inside the city of Babylon excuse me, inside the city of Babylon, Belshazzar is the ruling king. and he knows that the Persian Empire and the Persian army has surrounded his city, but he is not concerned. He is not worried about. His city being besieged, overthrown. He believes that the city of Babylon is impenetrable. He does not think that an army can get under the wall, through the wall, or over the wall. He thinks his kingdom, his world, his reign is safe. The city of Babylon is impenetrable. And in a show of pride and arrogance, he decides to throw a party to show just how safe his city is. Is so King Belshazzar gathers his 1,000 1, closest friends, and he invites them to this party. And he throws the party of all parties in the city of Babylon. He brings out the wine. He brings out the best foods. He brings out you know everything that his empire has to offer, and he throws the best party, the party of the year. Everybody who is anybody. Is invited and they are partying it up so much so that King Belshazzar tells the 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 uh, the, uh, uh, the servants to go and to get uh, these these goblets and some other uh, idols that that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has taken or stolen or won away from other empires and bring them into this party. Here's what King Nebuchadnezzar used to do when he was in charge. He was the he was the, the most dominant king in the known world. And he would go, he would move into a city, or he would move into an empire, he would defeat that city or that empire, and then he would take all of their gods, all the the idols that they worshipped, he would collect them, and he would bring them back to Babylon and store them. It was just a reminder to everybody that he had conquered that their god was out of business. He was large and in charge. Well, if you remember last week, he went into Israel. And he conquered the southern half of the Israel nation. In doing so, he ransacked the temple. Well, But but to his surprise, when he went to the Israelite, the Jewish temple, the temple where the God, Jehovah God, was worshipped, he did not find an idol there. Because they worshipped a living God. We know that. But what he did find were, were different things that assisted them or helped them in their worship to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the creator God, Jehovah, the God who reigns. And he he found some, some different things that helped them in their worship, assisted them in their worship. And so he gathered those up and brought them back to Babylon and had them stored away. Well, Belshazzar, now that he's in charge, now that he's throwing the party of all parties, he wants to show off some of those things that his granddad conquered. And one of the main things that he has brought out are these goblets, these um, cups that were stolen from the temple where Jehovah God was worshipped, and he has them filled up, and he has uh, people inside the party uh, uh, use those goblets to drink the wine and, and to drink the fine, the fine uh, 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 drink that, that was offered in the party. And it's his way and his pride and his arrogance of sticking it to God and saying, God, I'm in charge here. I am the ruler here. I'm the one who is ultimately deciding what goes on in my empire. This world is by me and it's for me. And there is nothing you can do about it because you are out of business. Well, in the middle of this raucous party, the Bible tells us that a hand that's not attached to anybody starts to write in the plaster on the wall. Apparently, it causes quite a commotion because it gets the attention of the king. And I'm sure, I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but if it got the attention of the king, it probably got the attention of everybody else in that party. And I'm sure that party came to a halt in a hurry. You could hear a whisper. It was silent as this hand begins to write on the plaster of the wall something that nobody can interpret and nobody can read. The Bible says that it scared King Belshazzar so much that his knees began to buckle, his knees began to shake. He probably collapsed as a result of it. Well, he picks himself up and he says, I need to know what that says. I need to know, I need an interpretation of what that hand just wrote. So bring in my magicians. Well, all the magicians come in. And they say, King, we can't help you. We don't know what it says. Well, King Belshazzar's wife remembers this old man now by the name of Daniel. And she remembers that some years ago he had actually interpreted some dreams for King Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar's grandfather. And so she goes to her husband, she says, Hey, you remember this guy Daniel? He helped out your grandfather. Let's bring him in. Belshazzar says, go get him. And uh, King uh, King Belshazzar has Daniel brought into the middle of this party where a thousand people are just waiting to find out what was written on the wall. uh, Daniel is ushered in, and now he has the stage When we pick up the story in verse 17. Here's what Daniel has to say. It says, then Daniel... Answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself, and give your rewards to another. Stop right there. Uh, king Belshazzar, he was, because he and his father-in-law were in charge, uh, or excuse me, he and his dad were in charge uh, of, the, uh, of the nation, of the empire, he was offering the third in line to the throne, the number three person in all of the empire. He was offering that position to whoever could interpret the wall, the writing on the wall. Daniel comes in and he says, keep your position for yourself. You can have it. I don't want it. He continues. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all people's nations' languages trembled and feared before him. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. So Daniel is beckoned into this party. Everybody who is anybody is there. They're having a blast this This hand shows up and starts to write on the wall, and the crowd and the party comes to a stop. Daniel is beckoned in, and he realizes that he has the undivided attention of the king and everybody in the empire. And before he interprets the writing on the wall, he turns to the people and he says, Guys, you remember the great king Nebuchadnezzar. You remember that he was unrivaled in his power and in his, in his authority. He, You remember that he ruled and he, he built everything that we enjoy today. And he, but he thought that everything that he built was for him and by him. And as a result of that, the Most High God humbled him and made him like a beast. He was a proud man. He was an arrogant man. He thought that the world was at his fingertips and was totally and completely for him. But the Most High God showed up on the scene and humbled him and made him like the cattle. And after giving this speech, in verse 22, Daniel says, and you, his son, now I can just imagine that he may have taken his finger and pointed it across the room at the king and said, and you, Belshazzar, the king's son, is actually his grandson, but they all, they all use the same uh, word, son. You, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this, but you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you and you and your lords and your wives your concubines have drunk wine from them and you have praised the god of the gods of Israel i mean excuse me the gods of silver and gold and bronze iron wood and stone which you or which do not see or hear or know but the god in whose hand your breath and whose uh, all your ways you have and whose are all your ways you have not honor? So Daniel stands up and he says, Belshazzar, you knew all of this. This story that I just told you, everybody knows it. After King uh, Nebuchadnezzar was humbled and brought back, uh, re uh, uh, established, his throne was re established for him, he made this story known. It was known. Close and it was known far. It was known near and it was known far. Everybody knew about this story. And everybody knew that it was because of pride that King Nebuchadnezzar had been humbled. This story was well known. Belshazzar, you knew this story. And yet you have fallen into the same insidious sin that cost your granddad his throne the sin of pride. Belshazzar, you thought this world. This kingdom, this empire, this castle was for you. And in doing so, you committed the same sin as your granddad. And just to add insult to injury, you brought in all of the goblets that were used to worship the Most High God, and you used them To worship yourself, you use them to stick your nose up at the God of Israel and to tell him, to try to tell him that he was out of business. And so, let me tell you now what the writing on the wall means. Verse 24. Then from his presence, the hand was sent, and this is the writing that was inscribed. Many, many, Tico and Parson, this is the interpretation of the matter. Many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. King Belshazzar, you thought this kingdom was yours? You thought that you had a long life? You thought that you ruled and reigned and you were accountable to nobody. But I am here to tell you, your reign has been numbered. The days of your reign have been numbered and it has come to an end. Many, many. Tikal, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. King Belshazzar. Your reign has been weighed. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the most high God, the God who rules and who reigns, has weighed your kingdom. And your reign has been found wanting. Belshazzar, you thought you were accountable to nobody. But you were accountable to the most high God. And his, excuse me, and your reign has now come to an end. Many, many, Tico and Perez or Parson, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. My favorite part of the story, I think, history tells us that that very night, the the Persian army, as I had told as I told you at the beginning. The Persian army had surrounded the city of Babylon, and about a week prior, the, the Cyrus the Great had diverted the Euphrates River um, outside of the city. One of the reasons, one of the main reasons, I forgot to explain this, one of the main reasons that he was so, that Belshazzar was so confident that his city could not be uh, uh, penetrated was because, that it could not be uh, besieged, was because the Euphrates River ran right through the middle of it. And so all of their water, all of their food, all of their resources came right through the middle of their city. So he just thought that he could outlast, outweigh the Persian army who had surrounded the city. He thought that the Persian army would get hungry, would thirst, before they ran out of their resources that was brought by the Euphrates River. So he just thought he could outlast them. Well, about a week prior to this particular party that he threw... A week prior to the hand showing up on the wall, Cyrus the Great had diverted the water from the the Euphrates River into a marsh and away from the city of Babylon. And for a week, that water ran out of the city, and slowly but surely, the water began to lower. Well, on the night that Belshazzar threw this party, history tells us that the Persian army goes underneath the wall, besieges besieges the city, and takes it over. And the Bible tells us in the next couple verses that that very night, King Belshazzar's life came to an end. What a cool story. you got to read your Bible. It's awesome stuff. And in doing so illustrates exactly where pride leads all of us. When you think that your life is by you and for you, it leads to the predictable destination of death. Now you may sit here and go, Scott, come on now. I mean, these are that's old school, man. That's in the old testament. God doesn't work like that anymore. I'm going to read what I have in my notes. If I can find it. Because I have a So what? I have the question. So what? Pride leads us to the position. Or it leads us to position ourselves as self-reliant rather than dependent on God and His grace. And this will always lead to death. In this life or the next. Here's why I say that. There are people like Belshazzar who are prideful, and it's obvious. There are other people who take pride in their humility and in doing so become prideful. It's insidious. It creeps in, and it will always lead to death. So the question is, how do you overcome it? I mean, you may think, okay, I'm not even sure that it always leads to death. I mean, God made great on the curve. I get that. But let's just hand this to you. Let's just say that it always leads to death. I mean, you've been around people like that who are prideful and prideful and they push people away and it ultimately leads to death in this life or the next. But just grant that to me right now. How do you overcome it? I mean, if it always leads to death, then how do you overcome it? I mean, you said, you said that if you try and get pride out of your life, then you become prideful because you got it out of your life. I mean, it seems like kind of circular reasoning there, Scott. How do you break the cycle? Well, next week we're going to look at it. But I would just tell you this It is outside of ourself It is only by understanding God's grace That you can break pride And it's predictable destination of death in your life It is only by understanding God's grace That you Never have to look down on somebody And say that you're better than them. It's only by God's grace, and it's only understanding God's grace that you don't have have to find different ways to prop yourself up so that you can look down on people and prove that you are better than them. And it is only by understanding God's grace that you don't place yourself in a position of looking up at people and wishing you were as good as them either. It is only God's grace. It is only understanding that everything that we have, the very breath in our lungs, is a gift by God's grace that allows us to break the cycle of pride. It is only by God's grace that you can look at people from different cultures, different skin colors, different um, uh, accents, different than you. It is only by God's grace that you can look at them and say, you know what? You're in need of God's goodness and grace just like I am. it is only by God's grace that you can look at other people that have more money, that have a bigger house, that have prestige, that have influence. It is only by God's grace that you can look at them and you're not envious, you're not prideful that you're not like them. It is only by God's grace that you can look at them and you can say, you know what, you need God's love, His forgiveness, and His grace just like me. It is only by God's grace that you can look at other people. You can look at the life that he has gifted you and realize that it's exactly that a gift. In and of yourself, pride simply cannot be broken. It's too insidious, and its roots go way too deep. Next week, we'll explore that more fully. Let's pray. Father... Thank you for your word. And Lord, we understand that pride leads to death. And in and of ourselves, we cannot break it. It is only by your grace. It is only by your grace that we come to the cross on level ground. There, it does not matter how much money is in our account, our bank account. It does not matter how little. It does not matter how big our house is or if we have no house at all. We all are in need of your grace. And that's the only way that we can truly live. In Jesus' name we pray.
0: Amen.